and welcome to Novels, Plays and School Days, our education series where we meet with students and teachers of local schools to discuss a different play or novel appearing on the Leaving Cert or Junior Cert. Our objective is to offer a further resource to students where they can listen to students discuss key elements and possible questions of the chosen text. This week we are joined by the students of Mount Temple and their teacher Trina Nickrory. Trina, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you, Debbie. It's lovely to be here. And if we can just go around the table um, and uh, everyone can introduce themselves briefly. Good morning. My name is Sean Lynch. Hi, my name is Kim again. I'm Phil McNeil. I'm Rachel Taylor. OK, you're all very welcome. And this week we'll be discussing the play King Lear, which is possibly one of Shakespeare's most tragic and bleakest tragedies that he's written, ending with the death of most of the characters in the final scene. And uh, it was so tragic that for a number of years, uh, an alternative ending was performed um, until it went back to the original text, which is what we're studying now for the leaving certificate. Uh, So the play centres on the character of King Lear, who, when seeking a declaration of love from his three daughters, sets in train a series of events, which eventually leads to his own demise and to those he loves. So first of all, um, it has a kind of a reputation for being a difficult play, King Lear. I know when I did my leave insert, it would have been, um, we, we were quite delighted when it wasn't on our year because we thought it was a really difficult play. Did you find it difficult in comparison to other Shakespearean plays that you've done? I think having read, for example, uh, when I was in first year, we did Much Ado About Nothing. It's a much shorter play and King Lear is so dark in comparison. So even even just that alone makes it not not perhaps as enjoyable, but harder to take in just the gravity of the situation that the characters are in, especially yeah. towards the end. It's it, it's it's something to consider, you know, when all of the main characters, well, most of them, for example, when Cordelia dies, you don't expect it. She returns as this Christ-like figure. And you sort of question, you know, is this necessary? Whereas with a play like Much Ado About Nothing, there's really not that many tragic deaths. It's more comedic. And what do you think the reaction would have been at the time? I mean, the fact that they had to uh, come up with an alternative ending showed you that maybe, what was the audience reaction? Do you know what the audience reaction at the time was, Trina, to the play, originally when it was produced? Well, when it was originally performed, it was performed as we see it today. Yeah. It was it was later on that it, it was the ending was softened. And I think maybe one of the reasons for that was a rejection, perhaps, of the message, central message of the play, which you know, is very bleak indeed, as you say, but I think has a seed of hope within it that resonates with us today because it was after World War Two that the play really got to be the popular play it is today when I think people looked at the Holocaust and the re- devastation of Europe for the second time in such a brief amount of time and really began to ponder the question of evil and what it means and what we can do about it. And I think that in particularly Victorian Britain, where, you know, they really moved quite far away from this type of ending. Part of the reason for that was a horror of considering a world without a sort of a certain social order. Because, of course, in King Lear, what happens is when the social order is destroyed and all hope is lost, everything goes wrong for everybody because, you know, nature is unbalanced. But in a world that relied very much on a notion that there was a specific order and also, you know, that sort of God in his heavens was reflected on earth. There was no place for a play like King Lear that asked if that were really true. There is a part in the play in one of Edmund's soliloquies where he says, Thou nature art my goddess. And perhaps as one of the central themes of the play, that really strengthens the point that nature 
as the main overseer of what happens in the play doesn't distinguish between bad and good and therefore when someone like Cordelia dies at the end it's not really a commentary on what has happened but rather a statement on just reality itself. Thou nature art my goodness to thy law my services are bound Wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom and permit the curiosity of nations to deprive me? For that I am twelve or fourteen moonshines lag of a brother? Why, bastard! Wherefore base? Legitimate Edgar, I must have your land. Our father's love is to the bastard Edmund as to the legitimate. Fine word, legitimate. Well, my legitimate, if this letter speed, and my invention thrive, Edmund the base shall top the legitimate. I grow, I prosper. Now gods stand up for bastards. Okay, I'm going to bring it back to the questions just a little bit, and you've kind of touched on it there in, in what you've said, <coughs> is... Um, to look at the character of King Lear himself and one of the questions that's come up on the leave insert um, in varying different forms is that King Lear is a man more sinned against than sinning. So the idea is that he's not inherently um, evil but is more a victim of his circumstances. Uh, what do people think of that? Do you agree with that? Or I think with most people when they're reading the text they know what he did wrong in the actual story. I think the problem is when determining whether he is a man more sinned against than sinning is what he was like before the text. Because obviously there was a King Lear before the tragedy. And like you kind of get hints of it throughout. Like uh, he talks about um, when, he's being tr- when he's being thrown out of um, uh, thrown out from Regan's home or and he's going through the rain and all that. He talks about um, how, he, um, how he, he sees now how like the poor lives and all that and that he didn't pay much attention to this. And you kind of see, well, what kind of ruler was he? Like, before the mistakes he made now, like, how many mistakes had he made before? And then in Act 4, when he's having his mad ramblings, you can see that he's kind of copping on to what's wrong with society, and you wonder, well, how much did he conform to this himself When you think of his sins, as you said, what did he... I mean, he set in train a series of events, but what was it that he did? He asked for a declaration of love, which was really vanity, I suppose. Do you think he's a vain character? If If you take the text alone and forget or try to imagine what happened before the story or the play itself you can really see that King Lear is at first quite egotistical and he does have an issue He, he like no sane person sits down with three daughters who under societal constructs says you know you're supposed to love them equally no one sits down like that and says tell me how much you love me and I shall divide up my kingdom and then he turns around to Cordelia and says, uh, speak now and I'll give you a third more opulent than the others. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see how he changes, especially when he, towards the middle of the play, where he, his insanity finally reveals itself. And he sees, for example, with his fool, he sees how he's ignored his people. He sees how he should have perhaps paid more attention to the way he treated his subjects. And you could bring that back. His egotism sort of disappears towards the end where finally in the very last act he sits with Cordelia as she's dying and she, he says, um, we two shall sit in the cage and sing together. No, 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 no. Come, let's away to prison. We two alone will sing like birds in the cage. 
when thou dost ask me blessing, I'll kneel down and ask of thee forgiveness. So we live and pray and sing and tell old tales and laugh at gilded butterflies and hear poor rogues talk of court news. And we'll talk with them too. Who loses? Who wins? Who's in? Who's out? As if we were God's spies and we'll wear out in a walled prison packs and sects of great ones that ebb and flow by the moon. It seems to me that his big crime, though, is breaking a bond between parent and child. Parents have a sacred duty, I think, to love their children and look after them. And that's one of the things Cordelia stresses at the beginning of the play, when she says, I love my Lord according to my bond, neither more nor less. And she she tells him what his duties are as a father Mm. and what her duties are as a daughter. She must love him, honour, most honour him and obey him. You know, and he, on the other hand, has to beget, he says, you beget me, bred me, loved me. And that's his duty. So when he breaks that bond with his child, he's doing something that's universal that all parents can understand and all children can understand. You know, every, every parent should love their child and look after them. And every child expects to have a nurturing parent. You know, in a sense, that's a universal law that he breaks. But in a sense, the play, he also breaks that bond with his kingdom because he is in the same role as sort of a loving paternal figure to his own kingdom, to his own subjects. But going back to his relationship with his two other daughters, uh, Goneril and Regan, the idea and the concept of what does a child owe its parent is particularly interesting. He, um, he, they're later referred to as pelicans, not daughters. And this, this is, goes back again to the theme of nature within the play. It's the, the idea that pelicans would consume their own family to survive. Mm. If, if Lear truly loves Cordelia as much as his other daughters, as we would tend to believe these days, you know, that's what is right. It's questionable because personally, my own interpretation of this is that there is a fine line between ethics and morals. Morals are personal values and ethics are something that can truly be dictated over time by society and what we observe. In that sense, Lear's progression as a character is in my opinion, down to nature and nothing more. I think at the scene with the storm, it's just Lear being, like, it's just him being shown for what he really is and what he's made himself, like, just like a little old man who really just doesn't have power over anything and he's just kind of subject to the world around him now that he's given up all of his power. Blow, winds, and crack your cheeks. Rage, blow, you cataract and hurricanes. Spout till you have drenched our steeples, drowned our cocks. Crack nature's moulds, and jam and spill at once, that make ingrateful men. Oh, uncle, court holy water in a dry house is better than this rainwater out of door. Good uncle in, and ask thy daughter's blessing. Here's a night pities neither wise man nor fool. Fire, spout, rain, nor rain, wind, thunder, fire are my daughters. I taxed not you, elements, with kindness. I never gave you kingdom. Call you children. You owe me no subscriptions. Then let fall your horrible pleasure. Here I stand, 
your slave, a poor, infirm, weak, and despised old man. But yet I call you servile ministers, that have two pernicious daughters joined your high-endeavoured battles against the head. So old and white as this? Oh, oh, tis foul. In terms of looking at that question, um, if it comes up on the leave insert that King Lear is more uh, sinned against than sinning, um, you don't have to necessarily come down on one side or the other, do you? Or how do you? How would you approach? No, that? not really. I mean, in the leave insert question, what you need to do is weigh it up. So when you're asked, do you agree that he is a man more sinned against than sinning? You can obviously approach it by saying, well, he's sinned against in these ways. He's sinning in these ways. Um, I think it's maybe important to reach some kind of conclusion in the end. Our sympathies at the end of the play lie with King Lear. Mm. Our sympathies at the end of the play lie with those who have, you know, somehow overcome evil, almost beyond their own understanding of how they did it. I think when King Lear redeems himself is when he realises what really matters in life. And for that reason, at the end of the play, we have our sympathies with him. But he is a tragic hero. He did bring this on himself. Yeah. yeah. So it's... In the Leaving Cert, they don't expect you to necessarily have one answer or another, but they do expect you to argue it out and examine the situation and then comment on it at the end in your answer. So you certainly have to have some kind of comment to make at the end. Yeah, and I think it's really important not to think that quotes are the be-all and end-all. I know plenty of people who memorise hundreds of quotes, rush into an exam and try to write them all down immediately. I suppose it's more important to, to root your answer in the text, as Sean is saying, that, you know, that, that you're not drifting into speculation or summary, but that you've got a point. So plan your answers and that every paragraph refers to a point and then you're, you're supporting that point by quotation or reference so that everything you say is rooted in the text you're discussing. What about the characters of the brothers, so Edmund and Edgar, and what do we think of Edgar's character is he really the good guy is he like a satisfactory hero do we think or I think in comparison to Albany he he goes through a progressive change I think Albany kind of sits to the side kind of just watching as things go by and at the last moment he realised I should jump in and do something but then Edgar kind of when he gets pushed away by his father when he's getting when he's been uh, declared a criminal and he goes into uh, well he pretends to be mad essentially um, and he tags along with Lear and all that, he kind of sees what's going on with him and he realises that kind of there's bigger things going on than what was quote was, uh, how light and portable my pain seems now than when that which makes me bend makes the king bow. And, and in terms of Edmund's character, is he, I suppose he's portrayed as kind of an evil character, but is he a victim of his circumstances? Maybe we can talk a little bit about his character. Possibly a victim of his disenfranchisement um, due to being an illegitimate son. Because he he says at the start, like now God's done it for bastards. He doesn't actually, he doesn't actually think that he's doing wrong. I I think he he may come to terms with what he's done at the end of the play, but for the most part, he thinks he is actually standing up for his um, ill treatment. I suppose. Do you see that his reaction is some kind somehow justified in a way? I, I think you you say what happens with Edmund at the beginning when he's clearly the more dynamic, strong you know, interesting character. Edgar is pale. More charismatic. More charismatic, yeah. Mm. I mean, Edgar is pale and kind of pathetic and gullible. Really stupid, I suppose. So good-witting that uh, he doesn't even see 
what is it? He doesn't suspect anyone or something. What was the line? What was it that Edmund says about Edgar? So unable to... His so, nature is so far from doing ill that he suspects not. There we go. There I we think go. there's a lot in this play, like, of our people's... Um, actions justified by how somebody has treated them like does somebody doing a certain thing to them justify them like responding with an even bigger reaction I think that there's a lot of um that's up for a lot of discussion like whether their reactions like are are justified like even though they're so like amplified and like more vicious a lot of the time and he's like by far I think the most kind of plotting and um vicious character like there's no one at any point in the play actually knows what he's up to he has so many ulterior motives kind of like subplots going for himself like probably the most devious character yeah he's definitely the most devious is there anything redeeming about him do you think when he's about to die I think he tries to say sorry or acknowledge that he's done wrong but I think I don't think that's genuine I think that that is he thinks he's gonna be they're gonna get a medical attention or I think that this means he thinks he'll be led into heaven or something Doesn't like that. Something like little good I should do. Or is S- it- some good I mean to do in despite of mine own nature. I pant for life. Some good I mean to do despite of mine own nature. Quickly send, be brief in it, to the castle. For my writ is on the life of Lear and on Cordelia. Nay, send and die. The character of Gloucester himself, is he a kind of a, one of the questions that comes up is he's a gullible character in the play. What's the significance of his character in the play, do we think? Well, he reflects Lear in, a, in the subplot, doesn't he? Since Lear is being fooled by his two older daughters and Gloucester is clearly being fooled by Edmund, they, he's just a, a different, I suppose, reflection of what's going on with Lear. What about the representation of women in the play? So the, 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 the three main characters, female characters, are Cordelia, Goneril and Regan. So, so what about those characters? And what about Cordelia's characters? I mean, she's, she's very rarely in it, is she? But she's still a, a, an important character, isn't she? Well, she's very similar to Lear in that like, she's both, like, they're both very, very stubborn at the start of the play and that's what causes it all. Like Stubbornness and ignorance is like what like what sparks most of the events in the play and um, it's, she's a hard character to comment on because she's not really in the play so you can't really get to like her or form like a strong opinion of her but she is very loyal I think in that she comes back to she comes back to rescue Lear and to save him and she like although I personally don't think of her as a very strong character at the time she probably would have been thought of as like a shocking strong character because she was leading an army without her husband and that probably would have been considered like a huge deal at the time to like come to a country to like even though it was her own country but like to come with an army and lead it like instead of just staying at home. I think though that the whole play really hinges on Cordelia you know she she doesn't run around the place plotting and scheming she doesn't do violence to anybody personally she she doesn't um glamorize power she doesn't try to grasp it i mean she could have married france or burgundy and told lear who she loved him and become the queen of england and so on but she's not interested in any of that but at the same time despite the fact that she's only in the play for a very small number of scenes her 
presence or the threat of Cordelia coming or the repercussions of Cordelia's actions are what the entire play is about. Mm. Sorry, just another additional thing about like the female characters. Maybe not so much Regan, but definitely Goneril and Cordelia. I think they'd be, out of all the characters, the only two constants throughout that they're the same at the start that they are at the end. That's an well, every, point. E- even mm. Edmund himself, he's really just on a joyride, essentially. Like, he has this initial thing that he does that's wrong and kind of everything after that is just moment to circumstances. Goneril, she plans to do this and she carries it through constantly throughout and she gets what she wants. And Cordelia, she's good at the start, she's good at the end. Well, there's no real other character you can really say that about. So I think that's what makes, as characters, like the, the, the female character especially, that they're very strong. In terms of representation of women, if you take Cordelia and how she's represented and then look at um, Goneril and Regan, so, so what are they? They're highly ambitious uh, they have a propensity to violence. Uh, they're sexually active outside their marriage um, with the same man. So when you look at all those things about them and then you look at Cordelia, um, there's a strong contrast there, isn't there, in terms of women? In Whether the they're depicted as bad women or good women, like all the women in this play are definitely depicted as very strong women. Like, And as well, what you were saying about like they're sexually active outside their marriages, I think that the only purpose of that being added into the play was... Because for a woman to be like owning and in control of her own sexuality at the time was probably considered like so shocking, and like I think that that would have been more of a male trait, and I think that like to have an affair or something like that was definitely like considered to be more of a male thing, and I think that those kind of at the time seemingly male traits were given to the women to make them appear stronger and more like kind of formidable and more like scheming and were they given to them in a positive light do you think or do you think Shakespeare gave them to say these are negative horrible women and the fact that they're having sex outside marriage uh, shows me even more the way they treat people is arguably horrible if you want to get really philosophical about whether they're good or bad it's it's a really complicated question. Yeah, Rachel's right. Perhaps the way they have total control over their own actions outside of marriage and their promiscuity is particularly shocking in terms of the time that the play is set and when it was written. This might sound strange, but I don't believe that because of that, that makes them bad people. Down from the waste, they are sensuous. The women all above, but to the girdle do the gods inherit. Beneath is all fiends. There's hell, there's darkness, there's a sulphurous pit, burning, scalding stench, consumption. Fie, 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 pah. There's one more character I just want to touch on before we finish up, and that is the character of Kent. So um, is he a realistic character? You know, the fact that he was so loyal. What do we think that the function of Kent is? In the- it was a point that was mentioned earlier about the characters like Gloucester and Kent and Cordelia exist, and that the fact that they're so kind to Lear and that they're willing to help Lear is to show that there was some gunless before the plot and the fact that he sticks by him is that he hopes that one day you'll see it again and near the end of the play that does happen I, whether he's real, whether that's realistic or not the way he tr- was treated I'm not too sure okay. but it's I'm, I think that's kind of his purpose in the play is to be that kind of like comparison and to be that kind of representation for Lear uh, at the start and at the end just 
to guide him back. Okay, back so as well, well, I think yeah. he's needed because as soon as Cordelia leaves, um, Lear essentially is now one, and I think it's up to then uh, Kent and the Phil, like between the two of them, like between the two of them to look after Lear and without the two of them I don't think that he would reach that stage of um, seeing clearly and becoming sane and seeing the error in his ways and like redeeming himself I don't think that he could have done that without them looking after him I think he would have just died or something and Kent shows us that even when people you know, behave badly. It's our duty to stay with them, to look after yeah. them, to care for them. And it's that loyalty, I think, that he has, that, that Cordelia has as well, that the play is saying, you know, through adversity, we still have to stick to what we believe in. OK, I just want to talk about the ending of the play before we finish up, because it's quite a bleak ending, let's say. And it's, what's the, what did we get out of the ending? It's a very dis- despairing ending, or is there a lesson to be learned at the end of the play? Or? The people who are left to run the country, um, Albany and Edgar, they're not very, like, they're, they're good characters, but they're not very strong characters. Like, there aren't people who you would prefer the country to be left in their hands. Like, they're not the type of, like, while they might be essentially good people, they're not people who would be suited to rule or... I think through actions, a lot of the characters have been supposedly punished by the end of the play when they were killed. I mean, Cordelia, maybe not as much, but she did... She she did certainly have actions that she took and that she... You and mean her actions led to her own downfall? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So in, in, a lot of, in a lot of senses, um, the characters who didn't actually act such as Edgar and Albany are the ones who are left still alive and have nothing to do and it just it, I think it kind of shows that true inaction you can be left feeling kind of empty with nothing to lead so to speak because there's no like no one really would have expected them to be the winners I suppose they're like us we're the ordinary people in the world you know the people who aren't so strong or so vibrant or so dramatic not so good as Cordelia not so evil as Goneril or Regan not so mad as the king or whatever but it's up to the ordinary people to pick up the pieces you know and just sort of try and sort out what's going on and I suppose that they represent us and our duty to be more aware like, you know when Ken says see better Lear at the beginning of the play maybe that's for all of us we all need to see what's going on mm. and maybe that's I think that's why the play resonated so much with people after the Second World War for example that they thought well, you know we're the people who are left and we're not the big colourful Hitlers and Mussolinis or whatever well we have to pick up the pieces I'd just like to thank everyone for coming in hope you got something out of it like we did and um, it'll be available to listen on podcast in a couple of weeks so that is King Lear on the series novels plays and school days which is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and I was here today with the students of Mount Temple <laughs>